I'm doing a series through the summer months on how-to from the book of Psalms. And today we're going to look at Psalm number 6. I really hadn't planned on preaching from this psalm, but it just reached out and grabbed me at the first of the week. And, uh, and so that's where we're going to be. How-to today have a positive mood swing. And I know that some of you need this desperately bad. Because I can see it on your face. Some of you have had a bad day already today, haven't you? Come on, be honest. It looks like some of you have. A few of you, you're working on a bad week right now. Okay? And some of you, you're working on a bad life, man. But I'm here to tell you there is hope for you today. Whether it's been a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, or just a bad day. Because all of that can change right now. Your mood can change, your life can change, and we're going to find out how from the Word of God. I've got a great friend in Oklahoma. He's a preacher friend, uh, several years older than I am. In fact, he was my pastor when I first went to uh, Hillsdale College, which is now Randall University. So I've known this guy for 36 years, and he is the most positive man I know. In fact, I, I was doing an assignment one time and enlisting the men in my life who have made a great impact, and of course, he has had a tremendous impact in my life, and the one word that I use to describe him is the word encouragement. He is a true encourager. He has a perpetual smile on his face. I think when he came out of his mama's womb, he was smiling. <laughs> And you can't be around this man for long without smiling yourself. He's always smiling and laughing and just has a positive attitude about life. I've never seen him down or discouraged or disappointed or sad. And I know he has had bad days because I've been around him through some pretty tough times in his life, but he still exudes this positive attitude. He was born in the positive case and seems incapable of these dismal moods and emotions. Now, I'm not like that. And neither are most of you. In fact, I can have some pretty bad days. How about you? I just hate it when my day starts out really good and it's going great and everything's fantastic and then all of a sudden it turns on a dime and it goes south. I had one of those days not long ago. One of you calls me all kinds of grief. I can't remember which one of you it was, but uh, my day went from good to bad and so I came home just fussing and fuming about something, and I told my wife, Angie, just, just don't pay any attention to me. I'm having a bad flare-up of PMS. <laughs> and she said, P no, you can't, you can't have PMS. And I said, oh, yes, I can. Pastoral mood swings. <laughs> and I'm having one. Well, this morning, I'd like to show you another case of PMS. It's the psalmist mood swing in Psalm 6, which is really a positive mood swing. And I'd like to make this simple point in today's message. God made us with the ability to process our negative moods. Now, we may not always be perpetually upbeat 
like my preacher friend in Oklahoma, but neither does the Lord want us living in perpetual anger or anxiety or anguish. Taking control of our moods, I believe, is a spiritual discipline. And I would like to demonstrate that to you today by using Psalms 6 as our text and learn how we can move from anguish to anthem in our life, from a sigh to a song in our hearts. We have it modeled for us here in Psalms 6 through the life of David king of Israel. And the first part of this psalm describes to us our troubled souls. David is describing his own heart, his own soul, and indeed it was troubled. Let me begin by reading Psalm 6 verses 1 through 7. Here's what David said, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, For I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Now, it doesn't take a Ph.D. in theology to understand that David is pretty distraught in this passage of Scripture. He is distraught in mind, body, and even soul. His troubled condition has elements that are physical, emotional, and even spiritual. In fact, he begins on a spiritual tone by asking God not to rebuke him in his anger nor discipline him in wrath. And it seems to me that he felt like God was punishing him for something wrong that he had done. Now, let me just do a little parenthesis here about this. This is the first of seven psalms that we have scattered through the Psalter, which is devoted to repentance and restoration. We call them penitent psalms. And in these psalms, David is asking God to forgive him because of an offense or a sin that he has committed. Here are a couple of things I know about David. He was a great sinner. Just like you, David messed up. You ever messed up? Raise your hand, dear children. We've all. We have all sinned. That's what the Bible says. But not only was David a great sinner, David was a great repentor. He knew how to repent of his sins. And so we have seven of these penitent psalms, these psalms of repentance and restoration. There is, as someone stated, seven of them, one for every day of the week. (laughs) That should mean something to us. And here David seems to have an uneasy conscience. And he's asking God to discipline him because he knows he needs that discipline. But he's asking God not to discipline him in wrath or in anger. Kind of reminds me of when my daddy was going to whip me and say, Daddy, okay, I'm getting it, but please don't be mad when you hit me. (laughs) 
It also reminds me of a lady who was beset with an unexpected series of negative events in her life who came to me and said, Pastor, do you think God is punishing me? Now, I really couldn't answer her because I didn't know in her condition and her case, but here's what I do know, that yes, God chastens his children. God disciplines his children. Now, that, that's not a concept that we are fond of. You don't like me talking about God disciplining you or chastening you, but yet God does it to his kids because he loves them. In fact, the Bible says this is proof that God loves you. When you get out of line, God's going to discipline you. Just like a loving parent will discipline their children when their children stray and do wrong. That's what loving parents do, right? Oh my, I think our nation has forgotten that. Let me tell you, that's what loving parents do. They discipline their children. They chasten their children. Loving parents do that. I would like to spend some time talking to you about the newest generation of kids we're raising. They, all, all generations now have a name to them. You know, millennials, idiots, no, not idiots. <laughs> Whatever they are, what am I? I'm a, I'm a baby buster, <laughs> boomer. I'm a baby mistake, I think. But anyway, I was in that age group right at the end of There's a new group. Do you know what the new group is called? They're called Snowflakes. Honestly, no lie, this is the real name given to this newest group of kids we're raising, snowflakes. What are the characteristics of snowflakes? Well, they expect everything to be given to them. And when they graduate from college, they expect to get a job making $150,000 and having half the year off is vacation time. And if they don't get that, they're going to be really disappointed and upset. Can I, you know what loving parents do? <laughs> oh, I love it. Yes, they do. They discipline them. And that's what God does. Let me remind you of Hebrews chapter 13. It says, You have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. And here it is My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as a son. So when bad things happen to me, is God disciplining me? Well, it may very well be the case. I do understand that Paul warned the Corinthians that some of them were sick and a few of them had even died because they had been careless in their worship patterns and they were taking God lightly in church. I feel certain that the Lord sometimes uses sickness and suffering and difficulty as a chastening tool to help us grow in holiness and in happiness. Now, you may not like that, and that may not fit into your theology, but it is certainly what the Word of God teaches us. And it is very apparent to me that here in Psalms 6, David knew that. He knew he had messed up. He knew he had offended God. He knew that he had sinned. And he said, Lord, I know you're going to chasten me. I know discipline is coming, but here's what I'm asking, God. Please don't rebuke me in anger, nor discipline me in wrath. 
And then from there, beginning in verse 2, David uses six phrases to describe what's going on inside of him. It reminds me of a patient going to a doctor and pulling out a list of everything that is wrong with them out of your pocket or out of your purse and giving the long list of things to the doctor that's going wrong in your body. Anybody ever do that? Can I, here's, here's my only word of encouragement. If you do that, make sure you write them down. Because if you're like me, you'll forget by the time you get to the doctor's office, all right? Well, that's what David did. He wrote down what was going on inside of him. His first complaint is in verse 2. He said, Lord, I am weak. Some translations use the word faint. Lord, I'm about to faint. How, how many of you have ever fainted? Raise your hand. Have you, have you, let me, because I want to look. I really do. I want to see how many of you. Well, a pretty good number of you. I've never fainted that I can remember. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I do have a fear of fainting. I dream about it sometimes. I dream I'm preaching up here and then something happens and I faint right in front of you. So it is a phobia that I have. Having not experienced a fainting spell, I don't really know exactly what happens to you, but I think what happens is all of a sudden you get fuzzy, you get weak, you lose your strength, you go weak, and then you go down. Right? And that's what David is saying here. Lord, I'm weak. I feel like I'm going to faint. All my strength has left me. But understand who is saying this. David is saying this, that rugged young shepherd boy who single-handedly faced both a lion and a bear and also a giant from Gath by the name of Goliath. That's who's saying that. That hunk of a young man muscled up said, Lord, I feel weak. Who said that? David, the military genius who had pushed out the boundaries of Israel. Who is saying, Lord, I'm weak? It is the king who had established Zion as Israel's capital forever. Who said, I feel like I'm going to faint? It was that visionary who wanted to build the greatest house of worship the world had ever seen. David was going through something now that drained all of his strength out of him. And he declared, God, I'm weak. I feel like I'm going to faint. Second, in the very same verse, he said, my bones are troubled. Some translations use the word agony. My bones are in agony. It, it's a word that means intense pain of body or mind. It talks about torture that you're going through. And he's saying this about his bones. My bones are in agony. Now, I've been out on a really cold day with people, and they've said, boy, it's cold to the bone. I can feel that chill all the way to the bone. Have you heard that? If you haven't, you need to get out more, all right? People, I've, heard, I've also heard people say when they're in pain, I hurt to the bone. Have you ever experienced that, where you're, you're hurting so bad internally that it feels like your bones are aching? That's the way David felt. I'm weak, I'm about to faint, my bones are in agony. Third, he said in verse 3, my soul is greatly troubled. So his bones are in agony, his soul is greatly troubled. The King James uses the word sore vexed. When was the last time you heard that phrase? My soul is sore vexed. 
Or the NIV says, my soul is in anguish. The word anguish that is used here is the, pretty close to the same word that he talks about in verse 2, comparing his bones to. They're in agony, anguish and agony. It comes from an old English word that means narrow. It means to be in straits. It means to be in distress. You're in anguish. I'll never forget years ago in seminary, one of my preaching professors was just, he was just talking to us one day, and he said, anytime you are in church, whether you're just a parishioner sitting and listening or you are the preacher preaching, you've got to look around at people because you don't know what people are going through. You don't really know the condition of people's heart around you. So here's what you need to do. You need to be prayerful that the Lord would be able to speak to them according to their situations and according to their needs. Because I know that's the truth. Every time I write a sermon, I'm thinking of people in the church that may be going through things that, that are distressing to them. And every time I stand before you and look out on a congregation, I understand that there may be people in this room who this morning are in anguish. You are in distress. You are in the straits. In fact, these people who are feeling this way may be seated right next to you and you don't even know what they're going through. Because we like to hide things like that, don't we? Well, David is being bold. He's telling the Lord how he felt. He said, I'm weak. My bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. And then fourth in verse number five, he told the Lord that he thought he was going to die. He says, Lord, I think I'm going to die. Look at verse number 5. He said, For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? Now, I understand that for some Christians this verse is somewhat concerning because it doesn't make sense with the rest of Scripture. We, we know the Bible teaches the wonderful realities of eternal life, that we do have a home in heaven. There is life after death, all right? We know Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he should die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And I believe that. However, David's words here sound as though he had no hope of life after death. So what in the world is he talking about? Well, perhaps he was just so discouraged that he had lost every ounce of hope. Or more likely... He was saying something like this to God. Lord, I, I want to stay on this earth just a while longer so I can praise you. If I die, my praise is going to stop. If I'm in the grave, no longer can I praise you. I can't finish the book of Psalms. I can't lead the nation of Israel in praise festivals. When you take me to heaven, I will cease praising you on earth, and I'm not ready to do that. So, Lord, I need your help because I feel like I'm going to die. And there are times in life when we are so low emotionally and physically, we just feel like we can't make it. We feel like we're going to die. Maybe you've been there. It's not a great feeling. Fifth, in verse 6, he said, I'm worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and I drench my couch with tears. 
So how many of us have said at least to ourselves, I'm worn out? I got a friend down in Greenwood. I do have two friends, one in Oklahoma, one in Greenwood. Every time I see this guy, I say, hey, buddy, how are you? And he says, I'm worn out. He does. I'm tired. He says every time. And I want to say, well, take a nap. You know? But here's what David is saying. I'm, I'm absolutely worn out because I've been groaning and I've been crying. He was emotionally exhausted. He had cried and cried and cried, perhaps till there were no more tears. He goes on in verse 7 to say that his eyes were even weary. He said, my eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fell because of all my foes. Now church, I am no doctor but I can sure tell you, David's having a bad day. Things are not going too well for David. But that leads us to the second truth. And it's the fact that we have an unfailing Savior. Even though our souls may be troubled, we have an unfailing Savior. David knew how to encourage himself in the Lord. Through the years, David had learned some tricks and some techniques I don't know if you remember what the Bible said about David in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30. At that time, David was on the run. He was a fugitive running for his life. One disaster after another followed him and dogged him. Even his most loyal men spoke of stoning him. But in 1 Samuel chapter 30 verse 6 it says, But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Man, I love that. The NIV says it like this. David found strength in the Lord his God. The thing that impresses me most about David was his understanding of the spiritual and psychological truths and techniques that are necessary in rejuvenating oneself. And that's what's happening here. I know it because I read it in verse 4. New King James says, Return, O Lord, and deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. Literally, I think NIV translates it better. The NIV says, O save me because of your unfailing love. So what's David doing? He's pouring his heart out to God. Lord, everything in my life is falling apart. Nothing is happening that is right in my life. I am hurting physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But Lord, save me. And I know you can save me because you deal in unfailing love. Amen. You know what he did? He regained his equilibrium in prayer. He regained balance in life. And he did it through prayer. I told my family the other night, Man, I sure hope we don't have to move anytime soon. And I said that because after you lived in a place for 20 years, you've got stuff everywhere. I mean, our, our attic is packed with stuff. There are places in our attic you're not supposed to have stuff packed, but we have it there because we just we hang on to stuff that our kids had, thinking that one day we might have grandkids and pass it on to them. But anybody want that stuff? I mean, we've, just, we've got junk everywhere, and so I can't even imagine 
having to pack all that stuff up in that house and move it. So please, please, please don't fire me anytime soon, all right? I, I, I can't. But I was, I was thinking, if, if I did move, if I, if I did build a new house and was able to design a new house, I would build my house with something special inside of it. There'd be a special room. Not a gun room, not an exercise room. It'd be better than that. It would be my own personal private prayer closet where we didn't put any coats, any clothes, any junk. It would be a place I could go and kneel down and leave the junk that was in my heart with the Lord. I've read about great preachers who've, who've, who've built a house, built houses with that private prayer closet. John Wesley was one of them. In, in his house on City Road in London, he had his own private prayer closet. And I've always wanted one, man. I've, I've always wanted a place where I could just, in my prayer closet, and I'd go in there. And I'd, but then God's, God said, well, you don't need a closet in your house. You can pray anywhere. Now, I'd like to have one, but even if I don't have one, you know what? I can still pray anywhere. And so can you. And God is bidding us to pray. And it was in prayer that David reminded himself, God has unfailing love. God won't let me down. How do I know that? Joshua 23, 14 says that God's promises never fail. 1 Kings 8, 56 says that not one word has failed of all that God has said. 1 Chronicles 28, 20 says that God will neither fail us nor forsake us. Lamentations 3, 22 says that His compassions never fail. 27 times in the book of Psalms, the Bible refers to God's unfailing love. All of that means that Jesus is never going to fail His children who love Him and pray to Him and call on His name. In fact, when you scan the life of Jesus in the gospel, here's what you'll discover. Jesus never failed. I mean, Jesus never failed. When Satan tempted Him and tested Him high in the Judean wilderness, Jesus didn't fail that test. When 5,000 hungry souls also had hungry stomachs, Jesus took a handful of fish and some bread, and he did not fail. When the terrified disciples woke up screaming, saying they were going to die, Jesus didn't fail. For no storm can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. When he set his face towards Jerusalem and encountered the anguish of Gethsemane and Golgotha, he didn't fail. And when the sun rose on Easter morning, he didn't fail. <laughs> because Jesus doesn't fail. Jesus never fails. The Bible says that not one word has failed us of all the promises that are in his book. Amen. <laughs> and our problems can be large, can't they? And our resources can be small. But Jesus never fails. And when we get into situations like that, we need to be like David. We need to get down on our knees and we need to ask God to have mercy on us. And we need to remind ourselves 
of his unfailing love. Reminds me of that old song that says, Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. You might as well get thee behind me, Satan. You shall not prevail because Jesus never fails. And the result of that is seen in the last part of this psalm, which tells us of our renewed strength. We all have troubled souls. We do have an unfailing Savior, and because of that, our strength can be renewed. Look at verse 8. David said, Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. I don't know if you can detect it, but do you see and hear the difference in David's voice? The determination in his voice has changed. His confidence is back. He's no longer telling God all the problems that he had going on inside. I feel like fainting my Bones are troubled. My soul's in agony. I think I'm going to die. I can't quit crying. I feel like giving up. No, now he speaks to his foes and he barks out commands that come from God. Away from me, he said, all of you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord has accepted my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. Do you get what David is saying here? He is saying, away from me discouragement. Away from me anguish. Get away from me evildoers. Get thee behind me Satan. <laughs> I have a God who hears my cries. And answers my prayers. So here is a man who through the divinely given techniques of prayer. Has taken control of his moods and taken charge of his emotions. What has David done? David has strengthened himself in the Lord. His troubled soul had found an unfailing savior. And in doing so his strength had been renewed. Can I tell you something? That's what healthy Christians do. This is what we do. Are we going to have bad days? You better believe it. Is Satan going to attack us? Yes. Are we going to get disciplined when we deserve it? You better believe it. And there may be days when we feel weak, like we're going to faint, our bones are aching, our soul is troubled, we feel like we're going to die, we can't go on anymore. We've cried and cried until we can't cry anymore. Our eyes are sore. When that happens, we just need to get down on our knees and pray to our unfailing Savior. And He, because He never fails, will renew our strength. All of this reminds me of a beautiful story found in the book of 1 Samuel. It's about a lady by the name of Hannah. Hannah was married to this cat, this guy that had multiple wives. She was one of two wives. They did that in the Old Testament. For the life of me, I can't figure out why. But here he is. He's got two wives. Um, the Bible says that he, he, he loved Hannah more than the other wife, but the other wife had had several children, and, and God had shut Hannah's womb where she had no children. 
And back in those days, it was, it was a big deal to have kids, and Hannah couldn't have any kids, and so she felt shame for that. She felt like she had let her husband down, and she kept crying about it and was sorrowful. And he even said to her, You're, you know, am I not better to you than ten sons? And apparently her answer was no. <laughs> You're not. And then to make matters worse, the concubine, the other woman, taunted Hannah and made fun of Hannah because she could have kids and Hannah couldn't. And it literally, this made Hannah sick. It grieved her spirit. So when the time of Jewish festivals came around, they took the family to Shiloh to worship the Lord. And while they were there, Hannah couldn't eat. And, and her husband said, Hannah, you need to be eating something. She said, I can't eat. And after everyone had finished their meal, Hannah made her way to the Lord's house. And there the high priest Eli was sitting and watching people as they came and, and went. And Hannah knelt down and literally she poured her soul out to God. The anguish that was in her heart, she turned over to the Lord. In fact, she made God a commitment. God, if you would just open my womb and give me a child, I will give that child back to you. And the Bible says as she was doing this, tears were flowing down her cheeks her lips were moving, but no sound was coming out of her mouth. And Eli was sitting back over there watching her, and he accused her of being drunk. She said, I, I haven't drank anything. I've not had any intoxicating beverage. I'm not drunk. She said, my soul is in anguish, and I'm crying out to God. Literally, her words were, I have been pouring out my soul to the Lord. I have been praying here in great anguish and grief. And it touched the man of God's heart. And Eli answered and said, go in peace, and may the Lord God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And here's the cool part. The Bible says this, and notice the dramatic mood swing. It says, then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Did you get that? What changed? Well, nothing <laughs> externally. She still didn't have a kid. And her rival, the concubine, was still taunting her and tormenting her. But her attitude had changed. Her attitude was different. Relief had come to her heart and it came through prayer. It was a dramatic, positive mood swing. It's the same kind of mood swing that David had in Psalms 6. And it is the pattern that you and I need to learn and follow. So, if you're having a bad day, it can change right now. If you're having a bad life, it can change now. You can have this morning a positive mood swing. You can move from anguish to anthem in your heart. You can move from a sigh to a song because you know the privilege of coming to God in prayer and reminding yourself of His unfailing love that is expressed through His Son Jesus who never, never, never fails.